Amen. Please open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Matthew, chapter 5, continuing our study. Now, the setting for what we're reading here, actually, uh, we find in chapter 4 and verse 23, when we're introduced, Matthew introduces us to Jesus' ministry. It says, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. So Jesus had a ministry of teaching, preaching, and healing. The healing was, of course, those miraculous signs that bore witness to the truth of his message. In fact, he would tell us that in John 10:25. He says, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. In John 10:38, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Jesus had this great power of the Spirit upon His ministry to confirm and affirm the message that He brought, the gospel that He preached and taught. Matthew gives us a record here of His teaching. This is three chapters of red letters, if you notice that in your Bible, chapters 5 through 7. This is most famously known as the Sermon on the Mount. The Gospel of Luke records a very similar message, but in Luke's Gospel it says he went out on a plane, out on a level place. A very similar message, but seemingly a different setting. And what we can discern is that Jesus would teach this message of the kingdom as he was traveling throughout Galilee. This was his message of preaching and teaching the kingdom. Now, he would teach many other things, but this seemed to be a core message. This seemed to be something of central importance for Jesus in declaring life in the kingdom. It is a message that um, is written to his disciples. It's spoken to those that were his followers. Notice there in verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. So this is spoken to a large group, but they are it's a large group of those that are following him. Certainly the twelve were there, but in addition, there were a large group of other believers and followers. And it says in verse 2, he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... So he is getting ready to teach them about the kingdom of God. These are his followers. These are his disciples. This is not a message necessarily to bring people to faith, but rather to explain the walk of faith, to elaborate on the kingdom. It's a message from the king about life in his kingdom. And Jesus' message, as we have seen already as we started last week and will continue to see, it is a message that is spoken to the heart. This is unique in, in, the, in the day in which Jesus ministered. He's, his focus is so much on the inward man, the motives, the sincerity, the intentions of one's heart. Speaking into the heart of man, but also revealing the heart of God. He will speak of God's love, of God's care, of God's intimate relationship, a loving Father who knows what you have need of. There are many beautiful songs and hymns that are taken from this passage we're getting to look at. You may know that gospel song. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. 
That comes from the truth of this Sermon on the Mount. Jesus really bringing uh, the heart of God to the people. And it was revolutionary. This wasn't like anything they had heard. In fact, it tells us at the end of this uh, sermon in Matthew 7:28, and so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teachings. For he taught as one having authority and not as the scribes. They'd never heard anything like this. He was bringing a fresh new message and he was ministering it in a very powerful and authoritative way. Not to mention the miracles that so verified the truth of his message. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees of the day were focused on the outward observance of the law. Not only the law, but to the multitude of traditions that they themselves had added to the law. Jesus would rebuke them in Matthew 15. He says, you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. They twisted the law and added their own rules, their own kind of elite spiritual understanding, and actually uh, blurred what God had intended, a message that would impact the heart. They thought that righteousness could be obtained through religious duty. Religion without relationship. Outward appearance without inward devotion. And man's religion without God's transformation always ends in pride and hypocrisy. Man does not have it within himself to find God. God has to transform the heart. God has to reach out to man. And this is what Jesus does. He brings the teaching of the law to life. Jesus did not, um, you know, get rid of the law, but he would apply it into the heart. Look, here's Jesus throughout this this sermon. You'll notice here's what here's what you have heard. Now, here's what I say. Here's what you've you've heard about the law. But now, listen, I want to tell you about the heart of the law. I want to tell you how to actually live out what God has commanded from your heart. Not merely outward observance, not just pious religion, but kingdom living and obedience from a heart of love and devotion. Isn't that what the first commandment declares? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. It's a relationship of love. A loving God wants to be loved in return and have relationship with us. Jesus describes what that looks like, how it's lived out in the lives of believers, how to receive that love in your heart, and then God's love and care ministering through your heart to others. Religion always puts God far off and man trying to reach Him. But Jesus brought God to earth and declared Him. Jesus made God available to all who would receive Him. And that's still the power of the message. Not religion, but God having come to earth. For God so loved the world that He what? That He gave. He came. He pursued us. He's the initiator. And He longs for us but to receive Him. We are studying through this section called the Beatitudes. That's the very introduction to the sermon. The Beatitudes, as you know, it's the Latin word for blessing. Jesus begins His message with blessings. He talks about the blessings that come to the heart of those who embrace the kingdom and the heart attitude that receives them. 
We went through last week the first four, and I hope to finish up the latter half here today. But let's pick it up now in verse 3. We'll read through all of them, and then we'll come back and look at the second half uh, as our focus here this morning. Starting in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pick up now in verse 7. This is where we left off last week. And let's begin to go through these blessings one by one and identify what the Lord is speaking to our hearts. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You know, those who have received the Lord's mercy are also called to give mercy. They are called to be merciful. Remember, this is spoken to disciples, those who had already become poor in spirit and had received the kingdom. They had already embraced the mercy of God, and they are now encouraged to extend mercy, that they might continue in that mercy. Matthew, in, 6, 20, in verse 6.12, you know the Lord's Prayer. We'll get to that as we study through this sermon, but just a, a sneak preview. You know this passage, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. God has been so gracious and merciful to us, but He calls us to also be gracious and merciful. Ephesians 4.32 tells us to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. You need to forgive one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. God does not ask us simply to go out and be merciful. He asks us to be merciful in light of the mercy that we have received, in light of what He has been willing to do for us. Now, the opposite of mercy is unforgiveness. And unforgiveness, you know, that's that being offended and holding on to something and unwillingness to extend mercy. Be careful. Not only will this hinder your walk with God, but it also will, it will, it will really affect your relationship with one another. Jesus warns later in this very sermon, uh, chapter 6 and verse 14, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's pretty heavy. That's pretty serious that this forgiveness that God offers, and He offers it freely, it's not like we earn it by, by being forgiving to others, but, but that we might sustain it, that we might embrace it. He encourages us to now offer it one to another. I'm going to talk just a little bit about some practical ways that we can be merciful. 
one of the ways that I think we, we can extend mercy to one another is by not being easily offended. I'm calling that mercy up front. You know, I don't wait till I'm, you know, hurt and offended and then I have to give you mercy. I'm just, I already know you're going to be, be ornery and I already know you're a sinner and I already know you're going to hurt my feelings. So I'm just not going to be easily offended. That's what the scripture says. Love is not easily offended, not easily provoked. Listen, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Everybody you know is a sinner. Your spouse is a sinner. Everybody in your family is a sinner. Everybody you work with is a sinner. You can look around right now. Both sides, sinners. I'm okay with that so long as they don't offend me. They're gonna, of course they're going to offend you. They're sinners. What do you expect them? We're all going to step on one another's toes. And if you go around just expecting some kind of perfection from everyone, you're going to be often offended. And mercy, it, it talks about you know, being long-suffering with one another. I wonder what that means. Long-suffering with one another. Don't be petty. Don't be hypercritical. Don't demand an unrealistic standard from everybody that knows you and walks around you and they have to treat you a certain way and you're holding on to every little slight. That's not merciful. That's almost hoping to be offended. Now, maybe you're willing to forgive afterward, but I'm saying show mercy up front. Let mercy be a a merciful describe how you already are postured in relating one to another because we do offend one another. And listen, you're offending others as well. We need to be merciful, and the Lord has been so merciful to us. Something else that I do know happens, and again, just talking about practical ways to walk mercifully, is if you have been hurt, and it happens, and sometimes it's not petty, sometimes it's a serious offense, I would ask you to consider really turning those things over to the Lord. You may not get the full satisfaction that you want from the one that has offended you. Now what? They didn't apologize, or they didn't do it sincerely, or they didn't do it enough compared to the kind of hurt and and issue that was caused in your own heart. Now what? Now you're left with this person that has just not made it right. What are you going to do? Going to hold it? You're going to have to go to the Lord, and you're going to have to turn it over to the Lord, because you're going to have to trust and believe that ultimately God has your destiny. That man cannot do anything to you, but that God can use for good. But that God is still able to overcome. What can man do against you? If God be for us, who can be against us? I'm not saying we pay no mind or we have no, you know, no, we're just never offended. But I'm saying there, there may be times when you don't get the full satisfaction that you'd hoped for. And you're going to have to turn it over to the Lord and receive healing. If you carry that hurt, if you carry that unforgiveness, be careful. It's going to poison your own spirit. It's going to ruin your own walk. Turn it over to the Lord. Turn your whole life over to the Lord. This is, I think this is very much in keeping with the spirit of mercy. I have to just give these things over to the Lord. So do you. So that we can continue to walk in love. And finally, I would say, remember His mercy. 
There isn't one of us that has not received. If you know the Lord, if you have a relationship with God and Jesus, He has been gracious and merciful to you and you didn't deserve it. He did it and extended it to you while you were still a sinner. He did nothing to merit it, nothing to earn it. God has been gracious. And if you can keep that in, your, in the forefront of your thinking, it will help you to be merciful. Who am I? Jesus speaks of a parable, you know, that, that, of, of that one uh, servant who was forgiven such a great debt. And then he went out and tried to exact a small debt from someone who owed him. And the master came and rebuked him and said, I forgave you all of that and then you went out and held him for this? As we hold on to these hurts and these unforgiving unforgiving hearts, we're, we're, we're not remembering the mercy that God has extended to us. And believe me, it's great that he, the mercy that He has extended to you. Remember our first beatitude, be poor in spirit. Be humble. Your need for mercy, past, present, and future, you don't want anything to hinder that. You don't want anything to stop that work of grace in your life. Remember His mercy. And then I would say, finally, on this practical being merciful, pray and ask God to help you. (laughs) And when it comes down to it, we need His help. I've done all these things, but Lord, I'm still frustrated. I'm still hurt. I'm still upset. God, help me. Empower me to be merciful. I don't have it within myself. I don't have it in my own strength. But God, by Your grace... Would you help me by your Holy Spirit to extend mercy even to those who may not deserve it? Now, some do. Some apologize. Some get their hearts right. Those are the ones you ought to just lavish mercy on. But there are others who don't. Remember Jesus at the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. As he was dying and hanging on that cross, his accusers and abusers before him, and he extended mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Looking on at verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure in heart. People characterized as pure in heart are morally pure. They're honest. They're sincere. They're people of integrity and single-minded commitment to God. This issue of the heart, Proverbs 4.23, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Our heart is something that we must keep. In Daniel 1.8 it says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies. There is a watchfulness over your heart. There is a purposing of your heart. This word pure, it communicates the idea of clean and clear. Clean. That speaks of morally pure. This would include sexual conduct, thought life. It would include an honesty in, 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 in an integrity. Not someone who's untruthful or lying, but, but a pure heart is an honest heart. Sincere character. What you see is what you get. They are the same outwardly as they are inwardly. There's no hypocrisy. They are clean. 
not just an outward pretense, but it also communicates this idea of clear. When I thought of that, I thought of, you know, just, um, I don't know if you've ever been camping, and, you, you know, you, you go to, to a stream that's got some running water, you know, and you want to get a, get a drink of water out of the stream. Now they have filters now and everything, but when I was, you know, just a teenager going up with my buddies, we'd just get to a, a place where water was moving and put it in and we'd hold it up. And if it was clear, it was pure. We'd drink it. <laughs> now, I know you can't see the little micros and things, but you get the idea. Versus murky. Uh-uh. Not drinking that one. That's got some green. Uh-uh. That's not clear. And it talks about this idea of being without contamination. And, or without any division. It's, it's pure. It's not diluted with any other things. And I think it speaks of a heart that is uh, a single-minded, committed heart. I'm after God. I'm seeking first the kingdom of God. My heart is His. I'm not distracted. I don't have an undivided heart. I don't, yeah, I don't, excuse me, I don't have a divided heart. Rather, I have an undivided heart. The Bible gives warning against a divided heart. Jesus would speak a parable that a divided heart is like seed that's planted among thorns. And it's distracted by so many other things. In Mark 4.19, those thorns are the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in. They choke the Word and it becomes unfruitful. This is a divided heart, a heart that is distracted versus the pure of heart. Jesus talks about a lukewarmness. Revelation 3.15, I know your works. You're neither hot, neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You see, that's a heart that's not hot or cold. It's not pure. A pure heart is hot for the Lord, on fire for the Lord. And Jesus is saying it's the pure in heart that will see God. Those that are after God with all their heart, in purity and singleness of heart, they will come in to that relationship with Him. Jeremiah 29.13, If you seek Me, uh, and you will seek Me, and find Me when you search for Me with all your heart. Purity of heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. He desires to be found by the sincere of heart. God is not hiding. God is simply waiting for those that want Him and want Him in the beauty and the glory that He, that he offers. They don't want, he doesn't want to be second. He doesn't want to be in the lineup, in the mix. He wants to be the Lord. He's created you for that purpose with Him. And those that desire and search for Him with purity of heart, they will see God. They will see Him working in their lives. And of course, they will see Him face to face as they go to be with Him or when He returns. Look at verse 9 now. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I think this certainly ties in closely with blessed are the merciful, because you do have to be merciful to be a peacemaker sometimes. But consider some passages on this topic. Romans 14:19. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Let us pursue the things which make for peace. How many of you found out peace doesn't just happen? It isn't just the natural state of all our relationships. If you just kind of 
coast, take it easy, everything will be peaceful. That's not what I've discovered at all. If I just let things go, everything gets out of control. Everything is hectic. Relationships tend to get into trouble. In fact, peace is something that has to be pursued. It's something that has to be sought after. I have to want it. I have to desire it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all people. With everybody? Yes, with all people. And holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Look, verse 15, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Peace, is, peace has to be pursued. It says here in this verse in Hebrews that you need to look carefully after it, lest a root of bitterness. And this is what happens when relationships fall out and there's unforgiveness and tension. And, and, and it's just let go and no one resolves it. And, and it's just kind of stirred and, and you just kind of grind on it. And you see each other, and you may there may be some you know outward friendliness, but inward there's this there's and, and the Bible says that's a root of bitterness. Interesting that he uses the word root. You know what a root root? That's that under the surface, right? That thing that goes deep. They're hard to get out, by the way. You ever tried to get roots out? Even a small tree with any kind of roots going, it's a project. And the scripture says, be careful. Don't hold on to these things. Don't go long seasons of strife with with spouse, with family, with friends. Be a peacemaker. Because if you're not careful, that thing that's in there becomes a root of bitterness. And the, the scripture says that in time, even though it's beneath the surface and you don't see it, as it grows and it's eventually it's going to spring up. I've got a fig tree in my backyard. Really a messy thing. Just figs all over. Stains the, the concrete. I had the gardener just chop it down to the stump. To get rid of that thing. It's a mess. But guess what? If the stump is still there. And about every other month, i got to go out there and hack it down again. It just keeps coming up. It just I'm here again. I want to bear figs and, and you know, drop them all over your sidewalk. <laughs> Now, there's a good place for fig trees, that's fine, but not, not in this place in my yard. <clears throat> you get the idea. These things just spring up. They have a way of coming back. They have a way of troubling you on and on. And it says that they'll spring up, they'll cause trouble, and many will be defiled. Oh, and it's such a... It's such a bad testimony when it defiles. It defiles marriages. It defiles families. It defiles friendships. Uh, Pursue peace and be careful. What is necessary for peace? Ephesians 4, uh, chapter 4 and verse 2 and 3 tell us, uh, I think, a little bit of the attitude we have to bring to be a peacemaker. With all lowliness and gentleness with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
Okay, I'm ready to make peace. I'm ready to make peace with you, you jerk. And I, you know, I'm going to willing to forgive you, you loser. But uh, I need to make peace. That 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 is not lowliness, gentleness, long suffering. I tried, Pastor. I tried to make peace with him. I tried. He's not interested. Well, who would be? <laughs> Lowliness and gentleness. There's a humility and a gentle approach. Long suffering. It speaks of patience. Bearing with one another in love. Endeavoring. Peace is an endeavor, isn't it? It's hard work sometimes. You've got to pursue it. You've got to work at it. You've got to be committed to it. And truthfully, even once you have it, you have to endeavor to keep it. (laughs) It slips away. You've got to be a peacemaker in the kingdom of God because it's really what God requires. These scriptures are not kind of suggestions for us as, as believers. These are commandments. This is what God... If, you want to, if you're a child of God, you live in the kingdom, this is what life in the kingdom looks like. Blessings come to the peacemakers. And those that don't, those that are strife, those that, they're going to be defiling. They're going to be causing trouble. James 3 and verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure... Listen, then peaceable, gentle, and I love this one, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the wisdom that comes from above, James said. That wisdom that, that's looking to be you know, critical and defend your position and give them a piece of my mind and we're gonna stra- I'm going to straighten this brother, this sister out. I'm right. I'm, you know, I'll make peace so long as they want my peace. You know? and that, that's not, that wisdom's not from above. That's not the Holy Spirit driving that energy. Now, the wisdom that's from above, it's gentle. And I love that. It's willing to yield. If you're going to have peace, you're going to have to be willing to yield. You can't make peace and it always be your way. You can't have peace and you always be right. Even though I know you are. I always am too. You can't have peace like that. There has to be a willingness to yield and it has to be full of mercy. You're going to have to forgive. And he says here that making peace, righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. He he likens making peace to like sowing seeds. When When you're making peace, you're sowing seeds that will bear up a fruit of righteousness. Righteousness, right standing with God, right standing with one another. That's the fruit if you'll sow the seeds of peacemaking. That's the harvest that you will have. You won't be disappointed. You'll be blessed. The scripture here is clear. Blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus said, you know, if you've got aught with your brother and you're there at the house of God and wanting to make offering and you know you've got something between you and your brother, you know what? Leave your offering. Go make peace. Then come back and make your offering to God. This peacemaking even affects our own walk with the Lord. We're encouraged as husbands to live with our wives in an understanding way, lest our prayers be hindered. 
even our marriage relationship, we need to walk in peace because it affects even our own spiritual life. Because the the blessing of the peacemakers is this, they shall be called the sons of God. I think what Jesus is saying, when you make peace like this, you resemble your Father in heaven. You want to look more like God. You want to look more like Jesus. You want to take on His attributes, His characteristics. Become a peacemaker. Resemble your heavenly Father. Reflect His nature. Isn't He the greatest peacemaker of all? Isn't He the one that gave His only begotten Son? You talk about an offer of peace by the offended party who did nothing wrong. But He came with an offer of peace. And the offering was His own Son. Colossians 1.20 Having made peace through the blood of His cross, Jesus laid His life down for peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be the sons of God. Verse 10, the last of the Beatitudes here. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, this tells us a couple of things. It tells us that if you're going to be living in the kingdom, and you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, there's going to be persecution. It's evidence that you are a follower of Jesus Christ is the fact that you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's the evidence that I think marks the the people of the kingdom, and it, it is inevitable for those that would live in the kingdom. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Jesus did nothing wrong. Why would they persecute Jesus? He came preaching the kingdom of God, healing the sick, opening the blind eyes, casting out devils, feeding the thousands. Why would they persecute him? Because of spiritual darkness, spiritual blindness, the darkness of men's hearts, the prompting of the devil. Don't you know those things are all still in the world today? Do you think if Jesus walked the earth in the flesh today that it would be any different for him? That he would be better received? He would be persecuted. So what would you and I think that somehow we're going to be his followers, we're going to be his disciples, we're going to be little Christ's Christians, but we're never going to suffer persecution. We are. If we really live the life of Christ. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. It's Jesus in you that the world persecutes. If you're enduring persecution for righteousness' sake, you are a reflection of Jesus. Blessed are you. It's evidence that the righteousness of Christ dwells within you. It's proof that you are a Christian. 2 Timothy 3.12, the Apostle Paul told Timothy, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I don't know about you, I hate persecution. I don't desire it, I don't go looking for it, but I have to ready my heart and understand that it's coming. And you know, I think even in our own country, we're starting to see a change in just the moral climate and the political climate. You know, there's persecution coming. We've not suffered physical persecution for our faith. Not, not much in this country. And I thank God for that. 
And, but we have suffered, you know, social and and kind of emotional persecution. We've been outcast. We've been ridiculed. We've and we're starting to become even more of a scapegoat. And I don't know what it will lead to, but listen, Jesus said, "Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake." It's it's a it's a mark that you're mine and that you belong to me. Now, verse 11 and 12, and we'll finish here. Uh, we'll pick up next week in Matthew 5. Uh, it's, it's not a new beatitude as much as it is just Jesus expounding on the last one. Verse 11 and 12 is just a, a, of an expounding on verse 10. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He gives us a little idea of what type of, of persecution we might expect. They're going to revile. They're going to insult you. You ever been insulted for your faith? Now, some of us get insulted just because we act like people that need to be insulted. You know, there's no blessing in that. <laughs> there's no blessing in that. But when you are really living for Christ, you can anticipate there will be some that will revile you, persecute you. It may be verbal. Some may take action against you. Try to get you out of the workplace. Try to limit your, your upward you know, opportunity. There may even someday come physical persecution to our country. Certainly others are experiencing it. We know that there are Christians giving their lives. Persecuted for their faith in Christ. And he also says, blessed are you when they make all kinds of, they say all kinds of false things about you. False accusation. We thought, I thought, man, if I was a Christian, everybody would just kind of love me and embrace me and never say, that's not true. In the world, you're going to receive persecution. False accusation. You hate that, don't you? I am right. That's not true. I'm going to stand. Listen, Jesus said, blessed are you. Because that's a form of persecution. Didn't they say all kinds of crazy things about Jesus? He was going out casting devils. They said, oh yeah, he's casting out devils by the power of the devil. Really? And Jesus did correct that record, didn't he? He said, even Satan isn't that stupid. A house divided against itself can't stand. He can't be the ruler of the demons and also tearing down his own kingdom. Makes no sense. No, what I do, I do from the power, by the power of God. And Jesus says that when these things come against you for my sake, this means your faith is a witness for Christ. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad because your reward in heaven is great. Number one. And number two, you're in good company. This is the same way they treated the prophets of old. This is the same way they treated Jesus and all the early apostles. You're in good company. Paul would say this in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Great is your reward in heaven. Paul said, these troubles, they can't even be compared to the glory that's coming. Now, Paul suffered real trouble, much more so than I've ever experienced, and probably you, you as well. I mean, he really, he took beatings. He was imprisoned. He was eventually martyred. And he said, listen, none of that can even be compared. You can't, you can't even put it on the same list compared to the glory. 
There is an element that I think that we see throughout this passage, all of the Beatitudes, there is this element of a future hope. And I think this this is a core thing that we as believers have to hold in our hearts. Listen, the kingdom is not all here and now. The kingdom is a future coming kingdom. We have a foretaste of it now. It lives in our hearts. We experience it in our gathering when the glory of God is with us and and He ministers in our lives. And there is something very real, tangible, present, and right now about the blessings of the kingdom. But the fullness of it is a kingdom yet to come. And Jesus is declaring it. Listen, how can you be blessed when you're persecuted because you're storing up something for eternity? You're making a deposit into something that can never be lost. I think it was that uh, Jim Elliott, the, the missionary, who said, A man is no fool who, can, who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And this is a, you have to sow eternity into your heart. This is what life in the kingdom is about. It's Christians living today with hope for eternity. That's why today doesn't, can't move us and shake us and destroy us because our, our, we're not anchored here. Our hope is not resting here. Listen, when your eyes come off of heaven and you get all only focused on the here and now and uh, you lose your joy, you lose your, your way, it becomes very much a distraction to you when you lose that perspective. Now, God will bless. God does care for us even in this life. And there is purpose, there is meaning, there is ministry. But it's all lived for a view to eternity. The full blessings of the kingdom are the promised eternal future. I'll close with this passage, and then we'll partake of communion here in, in our, as we close our, our time today. Ephesians chapter 2. You'll get this, the blessings that you have now, but also that sense of the future. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. You've already been made alive. You've already been saved. These are things that have already happened in the here and now. Verse 6, And raised us up together and made us sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We already enjoy the fullness of our spiritual heritage and blessing in Christ. But look at verse 7. He's done this now that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Thank God for the blessings of the kingdom that we have today. But oh, I am looking forward to the ages to come when He's going to be showing the exceeding riches of His grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank You today for this study through the Sermon on the Mount, this introduction to Your message, beginning it with blessing, describing the character and the nature of the kingdom and the blessings for those that are willing to embrace and walk in it by faith. And I pray today, Lord, that our hearts would be encouraged, Lord, as as we read these elements of blessing, God, that we would acknowledge, I know in my own heart, Lord, I have to acknowledge, God, I have to be honest, my, my, 
my Christian life doesn't always reflect these things as it should, as it needs to. But this is, this is the marching orders for the saints within the kingdom. Lord, these are the things that I ask you to work into my character, into my life, into my, my, my Christian faith. And Lord, I pray for all of us that we would allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to transform us, to change us, that we might be those that are merciful, that we might be those that are pure in heart, that we might be peacemakers, Lord, and that we might be committed to you no matter the cost. And as our heads are bowed here and closing in prayer, and just before we hand out the elements, I do want to pray for anyone here this morning that may need to respond to the Lord today. You may be here this morning and and you don't know the Lord in a personal way. You know about the Lord. But as I mentioned at the beginning, Jesus is not talking about uh, an outward knowledge. He's talking about an inward change. And maybe you've never received Christ into your life. You've never made peace with God. And He has sent His Son to die on the cross for you. And this is what we're going to celebrate here at His table. What He has done for us. And if you've never received Him and you want to receive Christ into your heart, I want to pray for you so that you can celebrate this with us. Maybe you're here today and you need to rededicate your life to the Lord. You're a Christian. You, you know the Lord. You've come to faith. But, but today, for whatever reason, if you were honest, you would have to say, I am so far away from God. Maybe there's bitterness. Maybe there's unforgiveness. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe something has just dried you up spiritually. And you need to rededicate, reaffirm your heart to Him. Come back to the Lord. I want to pray for you too so that you can celebrate this today in faith and refreshing in the Spirit. So if you're here today you want to receive the Lord for the very first time, or you want to rededicate, recommit your life to the Lord, I would ask you just to raise your hand. Let me see you where you're seated. Between you and the Lord. And I need this prayer. I need you, Jesus. God bless you. Let me see a hand back there. Anyone else? You need the Lord. You need to come back to the Lord. Come join us at this table. Anyone else before I pray? So, Lord, for these that have responded today, I pray that you would meet them now. Father, that we would, we would simply say, Jesus, we come to you and we ask you to forgive us of our sins. I need to make peace with God, and you're my peacemaker. You're the one that has died on the cross for me. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Give me a new heart. Give me a pure heart. And help me to live for you. By the power of your Spirit, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.